Hello everyone, this is Vartok with another Treks in Sci-Fi guest music podcast, number 755, released on December 29th, 2019. Well, the year 2019 is almost over, and I want to personally thank Rico for all of his amazing continuing efforts for this year, and to guest podcasters like Mark, and the others as well. Here's to a Sci-Fantastic 2020. For today's guest podcast, I'm going to talk about the American composer, orchestrator, and conductor, Basil Palladoras, my 10th feature composer on Treks in Sci-Fi. Okay, Vartok, who is Basil Palladoras, and why is he relevant? Well, Basil, pronounced Basil in some countries, was the composer for film scores such as Conan the Barbarian, The Hunt for Red October, two of the Robocop films, The Blue Lagoon, Iron Eagle, Lonesome Dove, two Free Willy films, and one of my all-time personal favorite sci-fi films, Starship Troopers. I opened this segment with the track Fed Net March from that film. Polidorus became renowned for his powerfully epic style of orchestral composition and his intricate thematic designs. However, more about his music in a minute or two. First, some background. Basel was born on August 21, 1945, in Kansas City, Missouri. Unfortunately, I have to report that he died prematurely from cancer at the age of 61, an age where most film score composers are at the peak of their careers. Although he was active for nearly 35 years, I am truly sad about the fact that we will not be treated to more of his film scores. Even though the name Basil Palladoras may not be a household name, he is listed in the top 30 film score composers of all time on some lists, an all-star list that includes stars like John Williams, Elmer Bernstein, James Newton Howard, Alan Silvestri, Jerry Goldsmith, Miklos Rosa, James Horner, Danny Elfman, and others. Even so, Basel has 94 film and television credits in the IMDb as composer, and so I will be providing a perspective of his works in today's podcast, and let you hear his own voice talking about his life and works. Basel Constantine Polidorus was born the son of a Greek immigrant, while his mother was born in the U.S. Polidorus was raised in the Greek Orthodox Church. He used to sit in services enthralled by the choir's sound. His music training began fairly early when he started taking piano lessons at age seven. After graduation from Garden Grove High School, he enrolled at the University of Southern California to study the arts of directing, cinematography, editing, sound, and music. Several short films to which he contributed are still kept in the university's archives. Let's hear Basel talk about his cultural exposure to the Greek community when he was younger. This clip is from a 1997 Film Score Monthly interview, available on YouTube, titled Basil Palladoras, His Life and Music, which I will reference a number of times. My father was born in Greece. Uh, my mother's father was born in Greece, and her mother was born in Sicily. Uh, she was, my mother was born in, in uh, this country. I think there was a large Greek community in Kansas City where I was born, but when we moved to um, California, and like I said, I was six months old, I don't think that it was very strong here at the time. And perhaps because my father, being an immigrant, 
wanted us to assimilate into the society. I never learned the language, which is really kind of unfortunate, something I, I regret to this day. I think his main concern was that we become Americans, you know, be accepted into the society. It must have weighed very heavily. I'm, I'm sort of projecting this because we never had, had that conversation. There would be family gatherings. There would be the dancing. And, of course, there would be the music. I'm really not a part of the Greek community in Los Angeles, uh, nor was I outside of the church, I think, that existed in Long Beach. Uh, I never felt that closely tied tied to it. Mazel was initially set on the road to become a concert pianist up until he entered college. He notes, I lasted about a semester as a music student. Basically, I was not prepared for 20th century music. Most of my piano training literature really took me through Prokofiev. Now, that's still 20th century, but it certainly isn't modern by any stretch of the imagination, even in the mid-60s. Every technique of composition being taught at that time, primarily serial composition and 12-tone composition, left me disinterested in writing that kind of music. I wandered into the cinema department because of Miklos Rosa, and immediately thought that it looked to me like film was the music of my generation. Now, from a 2006 interview, Basel noted, When I studied music at the university, it was a bad word, film music. They didn't want to know about it. That's not music. In a sense, it's right. It's not Mozart. I love classic music, but I don't want to go to a concert with the music of Mozart again. I want to hear Philip Glass, something I haven't heard yet. And I think film music is very accessible, very popular, and a sort of bridge between the classic world, the concert music, and pop music. Cinema was a very new art. There were no rules, and it just seemed to fit in with the Beatles changing the world, and the world itself changing. It was an extraordinary time of social upheaval, and film just seemed to be a part of it. Now, in his own words, let's hear Basel talk about his college training and decision to switch his curriculum to cinema, again from the 1997 Film Score Monthly interview. I was in the School of Music at, at SC, and while I was there, I became very disenchanted with 20th century composition. Um, most of my musical training up to that time really was classic, classical and, and romantic. Prokofiev may have been the most modern composer I'd ever studied. Um, once I got there, it was just a, it was a different kind of aesthetic, it seemed to me at the time. The other thing that was happening was the, the war in Vietnam. There was social upheaval. The, everything seemed to be changing. It occurred to me that film was really the language of my generation, more so than playing another box. Maladoris' graduating class at USC included luminaries such as George Lucas, John Milius, and Randy Kleiser. Basel would work with Milius and Kleiser in the future. John Milius was a fellow student, with whom he frequently went surfing. As it turns out, Basel Paladoras, while still in college, played the role of extras on television shows. Fellow guest podcaster Mark, you'll be glad to know there is a Star Trek connection in this podcast. Basel played three different roles as an extra on the original Star Trek series. In 1967, he played an uncredited Klingon in the episode Errand of Mercy. Also in 1967, he was an uncredited security officer on the episode Obsession. Although a red shirt, he didn't die. And finally, in 1968, he played a trooper in the STO episode Patterns of Force. Now that is a first for any composer I have highlighted. Some have had cameos in films, but not in three Star Trek episodes. In 1969, Basel graduated from USC, 
met the love of his life, Bobby, and got married at the age of 24. They had two daughters, Zoe and Alexis. The story of Basil using his music to woo his future wife is worth hearing. From her side, again from the Film Score Monthly interview. But I think our first, our, our first real date, we went to see a man and a woman, which was very romantic. And then on our second date, Basil was an extra. That's how he you know, made money. And somebody had invited him over for a drink. So he said, do you mind if we stop by and meet so-and-so? So we went to this fellow's house, and he said, Basil, play the piano. And I turned, and I said, you didn't tell me you played the piano. And I had no idea. I thought he was just a cinema student. So he sat down and started playing this amazing piano, just beautiful. And then he said, this is a piece of music I composed after our first date that was inspired by you. That was it. Finished. From 1970 through 1977, Basel provided music for efforts that included documentary shorts, a couple of TV movies, and two films. Then, in 1978, it was its USC friend John Milius who gave him his first major break with the score for the surfing movie Big Wednesday. Basil noted, John and I had a kind of relationship where he would write ideas, story ideas, and he would tell the story. I was sitting at a piano in my apartment, and he would talk, and I would make up melodies to go along. The film was a coming-of-age story, loosely based upon their own experiences surfing at Malibu, facing life and the Vietnam War. Starring John Michael Vincent, Will Catt, of Greatest American Hero fame three years later, and Gary Busey. Milius and his friends George Lucas and Steven Spielberg famously agreed to an exchange a percentage point of Big Wednesday, Star Wars, and Close Encounters of the Third Kind, prior to the release of the three films through 1977-78. Spielberg, in particular, was certain that Big Wednesday was going to be a box office hit, opining that it was like American Graffiti meets Jaws, two of the decade's most successful films. Here is a part of the track, Three Friends, from that film. The full-bodied sound of the film score revealed a composer quite at ease with the symphony orchestra. Basil noted, I had done a lot of educational and documentary television where I got to work with smaller choirs of the orchestra. I've done about a hundred of these things before my first work on Big Wednesday, and that was the first time I really got to hear my work played by a group of that size. That had to be a really good feeling. 
Credited with just a single documentary film in 1979, Basel gained even more notice with his score to the 1980 film The Blue Lagoon, a romantic survival drama film directed by Lorando Kleiser from a 1908 novel of the same name by Henry Devere Stockpool. The film starred Brooke Shields as Emmeline and Christopher Atkins as Richard, her cousin. The film tells the story of two young children marooned on a tropical island paradise in the South Pacific. With neither the guidance nor the restrictions of society, emotional and physical changes arise as they reach puberty and fall in love. The film was panned by the critics. It holds a score of 9% on Rotten Tomatoes. However, the cinematography received praise. In spite of the criticism, the film was a commercial success, grossing over $58 million on a $4.5 million budget. Not to mention the fact that a heretofore unknown species of lizard, now named the Fiji-crested iguana, was discovered when a herpetologist watched the film in the theater. While Atkins was nominated for a Golden Globe Award for New Star of the Year, Brooke Shields won the inaugural Golden Raspberry Award for Worst Actress. Here is the track Emmeline from The Blue Lagoon in the form of a piano solo.
In 1981, Basel provided a score to the TV film A Whale for the Killing, a drama loosely based on a true story by environmentalist Farley Mowat about a whale that is tortured by a fisherman. A female humpback whale is stranded in a small area during a storm. Fishermen of the village seek to kill the whale, but a man visiting the area fights to save the whale's life. Polidorus was extremely fond of the ocean. From a July 2006 interview, just months shy of his death, he related his love of the sea. Oh yeah, first of all, I grew up in a place called Naples, near Long Beach, California. I started to sail when I was six. I got my first boat when I was nine years old. So that's always been a major part of my life. And then I started surfing when I was 12 years old. And I kept getting more and more, going further and further, out into the ocean. There's an island off California called Catalina. I would go there all the time. So it's always been my escape. Some people use drugs, alcohol, sex, work. For me, it's the sea. Here is the title track from A Whale for the Killing, titled A Whale for the Killing.
You could clearly make out the nautical cues in that track. You almost feel like you're out on the deck of a large sailing ship. Also in 1981, Basel composed the music for another TV film called Fire on the Mountain. There just won't be enough time to cover all of Basel's scores, so I may not even have the time to mention all of his films by name. However, I will have to talk about his next film. In 1982, Polidorus gained international fame for his score to Conan the Barbarian, his third film for director John Milius. Ah yes, Conan, the epic sword and sorcery film based on the stories of Robert E. Howard, a pulp fiction writer of the 1930s, about the adventures of the Conan character in a fictional world of dark magic and savagery. The film stars Rico's favorite, Arnold Schwarzenegger, as Conan, and James Earl Jones as Thulsa Doom, the leader of a snake cult. Conan, a young muscular barbarian warrior, seeks vengeance for the death of his parents at the hands of Thulsa Doom. Let's hear Basel provide some context to his deciding on what music from prehistory should sound like. From a Conan the Barbarian original soundtrack interview I found posted on YouTube in June 2012. Conan, however, had some very serious requirements in that you're dealing with prehistory. John always envisioned this thing taking place 10,000 years before recorded history. So what does that mean musically? So we explored the concepts of, oh, we'll use antique instruments. But then we realized that isn't even far enough back. Medieval is, you know, fairly modern compared to Conan. He knew he wanted it to be operatic. There was no question in his mind that because there was so little dialogue, that the music really had to carry a lot of the story. The Wheel of Pain sequence, basically I knew that we should incorporate a lot of metallic sounds and try to get some strange sense of another world. So I think we had a couple of chains and things like that going on. We incorporate this Chinese gong, which is made out of very precious metals. And we took a triangle beater and literally had the percussionist rake it across there are so many good tracks to choose from Conan the Barbarian to play, such as The Anvil of Krom, the theme from The Orgy, Wything, the theme of love, and The Battle of the Mounds. Decisions. Okay. I'm going to have to choose the main title track, The Anvil of Krom. I just love how at 52 seconds it smoothly segues from the beating drums to a sinuous resolving stream of melody. So good.
And we can't leave Conan the Barbarian without hearing at least part of track number nine, The Orgy. Basel's most productive year turned out to be in 1984, when he composed music for five feature films, such as The House of God, Making the Grade, Conan the Destroyer, Red Dawn, and Protocol, not to mention music for an additional three TV films, including The Sheriff and the Astronaut, and one documentary film. Of these, I am sure Trex and Sci-Fi listeners are very familiar with Conan the Destroyer, and Red Dawn. Conan the Destroyer, a sequel to Conan the Barbarian, was directed by Richard Fleischer, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger and Mako Iwamatsu, reprising their roles as Conan and Akiro the Wizard, respectively. The cast also included the fierce Grace Jones as Zula, the very tall 7-foot-1-inch Wilt Chamberlain as Bambata, and an even taller seven foot four Andre the Giant as Dagoth. In the sequel, Conan and his companion, the thief Malak, are confronted by Queen Teramis of Shadazar, who tests her combat ability with several of her guards. Satisfied, she tells Conan that she has a quest for him. Conan refuses her until she promises to resurrect his lost love, Valeria, and then he agrees to the quest. He is to escort the queen's niece, Jenna, a virgin, who is destined to restore the jeweled horn of the dreaming god Dagoth. A magical gem must first be retrieved that will locate the horn. Conan and Malak are joined by Bambata, the captain of Teramis's guard. Bambata has secret orders to kill Conan once the gem is obtained. Yeah, not Pulitzer Prize material here, but a lot of fun. Surprisingly, the second Conan only earned about one-sixth the gross of the first Conan, but still doubled its cost, and so it was moderately successful. Here's part of my favorite track number five, titled Crystal Palace, from Conan the Destroyer.
The second 1984 film of importance was the action drama Red Dawn. It is the dawn of World War III. In Midwestern America, a group of high school teenagers band together, calling themselves the Wolverines, after their school mascot, to defend their town and their country from invading Soviet and Cuban forces. Patrick Swayze and Charlie Sheen starred. The United States has gradually become strategically isolated after several European nations withdraw from NATO. At the same time, the Soviet Union aggressively expands their sphere of influence. Hmm, that is sounding a bit like current events. So MGM thought, why not make a teen Rambo movie and turn the project over to John Milius, a filmmaker who loves war movies. The idea was especially popular with a member of the MGM board of directors, General Alexander Haig, the former Nixon chief of staff, who yearned to supervise the film personally and develop a movie career. Fortunately, director Milius was signed to direct at a fee of $1.25 million, plus a gun of his choice. Here is the main title track providing a strong militaristic tone to start the film.
Thankfully, at the end of the movie, we learn that the Russians are repulsed and a monument was raised to commemorate the sacrifices of the teen warrior Wolverines. The film was remade in 2012, this time with the North Koreans joining the Russians, but was not as financially successful, just recovering its production costs. The next year, in 1985, Basel provided the music for one episode of Alfred Hitchcock Presents and then the score to the action-adventure film Flesh and Blood, a romantic, erotic, historical adventure drama film directed by Paul Verhoeven and starring Rutger Hauer and Jennifer Jason Leigh. It was Verhoeven's first English-language film and was a monumental box office flop, only managing to make $100,000 back out of an estimated $6.5 million budget. This was Basel's first effort with Verhoeven, Thankfully, they would have much more successful collaborations later. That was track number six, Castle Invasion, from Flesh and Blood, which, if not an homage to, is at least reminiscent of the sound of famous composer Eric Korngold, who provided outstanding scores to The Adventures of Robin Hood and Captain Blood back in the 1930s. Up next for Basel was his theme song, Feels Like Science, for the TV series Misfits of Science. He also composed the music for two episodes. The song was sung by Karen Lawrence. Well, since this is Treks in Sci-Fi, I have to play it, don't I? Yes, I do. At least some of it.
Now that sounded like something Hans Zimmer would have written in that time frame. First up in 1986 was Basel's score for the military action film Iron Eagle, starring Jason Gedrick, Louis Gossett Jr., and of course, the McDonnell Douglas F-16. Unfortunately, it was released the year after Top Gun, and therefore was compared to that icon of fighter jet movies. It was successful enough to be followed by three sequels, Iron Eagle 2, Aces Iron Eagle 3, and Iron Eagle on the Attack, with Gossett Jr. being the only actor to have appeared in all four films. Basel only scored the first film. The basis of the fictional Iron Eagle story relates to real-life attacks by the United States against Libya over the Gulf of Sidra, in particular the 1981 Gulf of Sidra incident. It is said that many future Air Force pilots derive their interest in signing up due to this film. Here is the main title track to Iron Eagle. Where do I sign up? In 1987, Basel scored the music for all seven episodes of the 14 and a half hour TV miniseries, America, spelled A-M-E-R-I-K-A, inspired by a novelization entitled America, the Triumph of the American Spirit. America with a K stars Chris Christopherson, more Ks, Mariel Hemingway, Sam Neill, Robert Ulrich, and the 17-year-old Laura Flynn Boyle in her first major role. America was about life in the United States after a bloodless takeover engineered by the Soviet Union. Not wanting to depict the actual takeover, ABC Entertainment President Brandon Stoddard set the miniseries 10 years after the event, focusing on the demoralized U.S. people a decade after the Soviet conquest. I suppose Red Dawn just wasn't enough to quell our fear of the Soviet Union. 
From 1985 to 87, Basel provided music to four episodes of The Twilight Zone, followed by his score for Robocop in 1987. Detroit, in the future, is crime-ridden and run by a massive company. The company has developed a huge crime-fighting robot, the ED-209, which unfortunately develops a rather dangerous glitch. The company sees a way to get back in favor with the public when policeman Alex Murphy is killed by a street gang. Murphy's body is reconstructed within a steel shell and called Robocop. The new Robocop is very successful against criminals, but becomes a target of supervillain Clarence Bodiger. Robocop was Basil's second collaboration with director Paul Verhoeven, and this time the project was financially successful, earning $53 million on a budget of $13 million. Actor Peter Weller played Alex Murphy. Although Rutger Hauer and Michael Ironside were favored by Verhoeven and the producers to portray the title role, Polydorus used both synthesized and orchestral music as a mirror to the man-versus-machine theme of the movie. The score alternates brass-heavy material, including the Robocop theme and ED-209's theme, with more introverted pieces for strings, such as during Robocop's homecoming scene. Honors for the film include five Saturn Awards, two BAFTA Award nominations, and the Academy Award for Best Sound Effects Editing, along with nominations for Best Film Editing and Best Sound. Basel won a BMI Film Music Award for his score. Here is track number four, titled Rock Shop, which I think most of you fanboys and fangirls will associate with the film.
Robocop was Basel's first extensive use of electronics, mixing it with acoustics. The soundtrack was recorded at Abbey Road in London with a whole room full of synthesizers. It was just when MIDI sequencers were starting to come in. It was the first time ever you could actually play a hundred instruments with one computer. Also in 1987, Basel provided the score for No Man's Land, a crime film written by Dick Wolf, directed by Peter Werner, and stars Charlie Sheen, D.B. Sweeney, and Randy Quaid. Basel's final effort for 1987 included the score for Cherry 2000, a science fiction film starring Melanie Griffith and David Andrews. In 2017, the United States has fragmented into post-apocalyptic wastelands and limited civilized areas. Society has become increasingly bureaucratic and hypersexualized, with the declining number of human sexual encounters requiring contracts drawn up by lawyers prior to sexual activity. At the same time, robotic technology has made tremendous developments, and female androids, more properly gynoids, are used as substitutes for wives. Business executive Sam Treadwell happens to own a Cherry 2000 model as his wife. After she short circuits during sex on a wet kitchen floor, Sam is told by a repairman that she is damaged beyond repair, though her memory disk, containing her entire personality, can be used in a new body if one can be found. He hires a sexy renegade tracker, played by Melanie Griffiths, to find an exact duplicate of his android wife only to discover that the perfect woman was always under his nose. The soundtrack album prepared for release at the time of the film was canceled due to the film being shelved for a few years instead of receiving a theatrical release. Later, Veracy Saraband decided to make it the debut release in their CD club. Originally, only 1,500 copies were sold by mail order for $20, and it became a highly valuable collectible one copy selling for $2,500 on eBay. Well, I didn't pay that amount, I can assure you. Here is track number 14 titled Jake Killed, which I chose for its lighter, bouncier sound from Polydorus. During 1988, Basel provided film scores for a TV film titled Intrigue, and the feature film Spellbinder and Split Decisions. In 1989, he provided a score to the film Intruder. Bruce Campbell, Sam Raimi, and Ted Raimi were all heavily promoted by Paramount as the stars of the film Intruder, and their names feature prominently on video and DVD artwork. None of them are actually the stars of the picture. Sam Raimi plays a supporting character. Ted Raimi has a small supporting role, barely more than a bit part. And Bruce Campbell appears in the final scene in a brief cameo. 
Well, what do you expect for a $180,000 movie? Next, Basel provided the film score for Farewell to the King in 1989. An American soldier, played by Nick Nolte, escapes a firing squad execution by Japanese soldiers in Borneo during 1942 World War II. He is adopted as the leader of a headhunter's tribe because of his blue eyes in this war story told in the style of Joseph Conrad and Rudyard Kipling. The American is reluctant to rejoin the fight against the Japanese on the urging of a British commando team, but then conducts a war of vengeance when the Japanese attacked his adopted tribe people. The film was directed by John Milius, making it the fifth collaboration with Polidorus. Milius later said he preferred his silent action sequences accompanied by Basel's music over the release's realistic percussive sound effects. The music was played down, he said. It was a beautiful score. The producer's attitude was, We paid for the gunshot. Let's hear it. I have chosen to play part of track number eight, Nigel's Trip, to provide a somber, haunting melody. was lovely, right? The year 1989 also saw one of Polidorus's most noted works was music for all four episodes of the TV miniseries Lonesome Dove, 
an epic western drama about two former Texas rangers who decided to move cattle from the south to Montana. Augustus McRae, played by Robert Duvall, and Woodrow Call, played by Tommy Lee Jones, run into many problems along the way, and the journey doesn't end without numerous casualties. The series was originally broadcast by CBS, drawing a huge viewing audience, earning numerous awards, and reviving both the television western and the miniseries. An estimated 26 million homes tuned in to watch Lonesome Dove, an unusually high number for a western at that time. The film was the first western score for Basil Polidorus, and the first of his five scores for director Simon Windsor. I was originally going to play the Lonesome Dove theme next, but decided to showcase Polidorus' musical range by playing the track titled Cowboys Down the Street. Now, come on, who doesn't love a banjo? Lonesome Dove was nominated for 18 Emmy Awards, winning seven. Bossel won an Emmy for Outstanding Achievement in Music Composition for a Miniseries or a Special, and also a BMI Film and TV Award. Lonesome Dove's success spawned a number of follow-on miniseries, including Return to Lonesome Dove in 93, Streets of Laredo in 95, Dead Man's Walk in 96, and Comanche Moon in 2008. 1989 also saw the release of Basel's score for the film Wired, a biographical film about comedian and actor John Belushi. It was based upon the 1984 book of the same name by Washington Post journalist Bob Woodward, and adapted for the screen by Buckaroo Banzai created Earl McRosh, 
It stars Michael Chiklis, just out of acting school, in his film debut as Belushi. Unfortunately, the film was both a critical and commercial failure, earning just $1 million against a $13 million budget. Reportedly because Hollywood didn't want this film made, since it revealed too many truths about the dark side of Hollywood. Although Michael Chiklis and The Wired Band, and other name bands, provided most of the tracks, Basil Paladoris composed three tracks for the score. Here is part of a track number 13 titled Eulogy, a somber, introspective wave of sound to the memory of John Belushi. After composing a score for the film Nasty Boys, one of my favorite Polidorus scores also followed in 1990 with the majestic film score for the spy thriller The Hunt for Red October. With an all-star cast including Sean Connery, Alec Baldwin, Scott Glenn, James Earl Jones, and Sam Neill, the film is an adaptation to Tom Clancy's 1984 best-selling novel of the same name. It was the first installment of the Jack Ryan film series to come later. The story is set during the late Cold War era and involves a rogue Soviet naval captain, Marco Ramius, played by Sean Connery, who wishes to defect to the United States with his officers and the Soviet Navy's newest and most advanced nuclear missile submarine. An American CIA analyst, Jack Ryan, played by Alec Baldwin, correctly deduces his motive and must prove his theory to the U.S. Navy before a violent confrontation between the Soviet and American navies spirals out of control. Subsequent Jack Ryans have been portrayed twice by Harrison Ford, Ben Affleck, Chris Pine, and most recently twice by John Krasinski in the Amazon miniseries. Basel won a BMI Film Music Award for the soundtrack. Here is one of my favorite tracks titled Nuclear Scam. It is too long to play in its entirety here, so I'll just play just the first half. Here are the nautical themes of the scene that Basel loves so much, and the prominent use of choirs, for which he is also known.
Several admirals liked Clancy's book and reasoned that the film could do for submariners what Top Gun did for the Navy's jet fighter pilots. The director of the Navy's Western Regional Information Office in Los Angeles suggested changes to the script that would present the Navy in a positive light, and thus the Navy gave filmmakers access to several Los Angeles-class submarines, allowing them to photograph unclassified sections of the subs Chicago and Portsmouth to use in set and prop design. The Louisville was used for the scene in which Baldwin is dropped from a helicopter to the submarine. Key cast and crew members rode along in subs, including Alec Baldwin and Scott Glenn, who took an overnight trip aboard the sub Salt Lake City. Sounds like a very cool experience. The film was a huge success, earning $200 million on a budget of $30 million. The year 1990 also saw Basel providing music for 12 episodes of the TV series Nasty Boys, based on the film released the previous year. He then provided the score for the 1990 Australian western Quigley Down Under, directed by Simon Windsor and starring Tom Selleck, Alan Rickman, and Laura San Giacomo. Matthew Quigley is an American cowboy with a specially modified rifle, which he can shoot accurately at extraordinary distances. Seeing a newspaper advertisement searching for a man with his special talent, he answers using just four words, M. Quigley, 900 yards, written on a copy of the advertisement that is punctured by six closely spaced bullet holes. When he arrives in Australia, he is taken to the ranch of Elliot Marston, who informs Quigley his sharpshooting skills will be used to eradicate the increasingly elusive Aborigines. Quigley turned down the offer. However, Marston's men have Quigley beaten and dumped in the outback with no water and little chance of survival. However, he is rescued by the Aborigines and then champions their cause by taking on Marston and the bad guys. Here's part of Basel's main title track, which to me has the sound of a mashup between comedy and an Elmer Bernstein western. See what you think.
1991, Polydorus provided the score for a northern adventure film, White Fang, with additional tracks by Hans Zimmer. Based on Jack London's novel of the same name, it tells the story of the friendship between a young Klondike gold prospector and a wolf dog, which is a canine produced by the mating of a domestic dog and a wolf. The film was directed by Basil's USC fellow graduate, Randy Kleiser. His second collaboration was Polydorus. Interestingly, 1991 saw Basel composing a score for his other USC friend, John Milius, with his sixth and final collaboration for the film Flight of the Intruder. Another warm film directed by John Milius, it starred Danny Glover, Willem Dafoe, and Brad Johnson. It is based upon the novel of the same name by Stephen Kuntz, himself a former Grumman A6 intruder pilot. The film received negative reviews upon release, and as of today, Flight of the Intruder was Milius' final theatrical release as a director. The film covers the actions of Lieutenant Jake Coolhand Grafton and his bombardier navigator and best friend, Lieutenant Morgan Morg McPherson, who are flying a Grumman A-6 intruder during the Vietnam War over the Gulf of Tonkin. Here is the namesake track called Flight of the Intruder, yet another military-inspired composition from Polydorus.
The year 1991 also saw film scores for the romantic adventure Return to the Blue Lagoon, and the action biker film Harley Davidson and the Marlboro Man. Both were commercial flops, so let's skip those two. In 1992, Basel's only film score that year was for the sailing film titled Wind, which centered on the America's Cup series of yachting races and using them as a backdrop for both an action-adventure and a romantic storyline. The film, also a financial bust, was inspired by the New York Yacht Club's loss of the 1983 America's Cup through the events of the 1987 America's Cup. Wind contains some of the best, most realistic, on-deck, big-boat sailing sequences ever portrayed. I have chosen to play part of track number three titled The Dinghy Race to illustrate Basel's ability to provide a snappy, happy, and lighter sound.
RoboCop 3 debuted in 1993 as Basel's second score for the franchise that subsequently has included four films and four television series. Once again, the scene is set in the near future in a dystopian metropolitan Detroit, Michigan. The plot centers around RoboCop, played this time by Robert John Burke, as he vows to avenge the death of his partner Anne Lewis and save Detroit from falling into chaos. Evil conglomerate OCP, run by its villainous CEO, played by Rip Torn, advances its tyrannical program to have the city default on its debt. Surprisingly, it was filmed in Atlanta, Georgia, instead of Detroit, since most of the buildings seen in the film were slated for demolition to make way for the 1996 Summer Olympics that were held in Atlanta. That was part of track number five, titled Murphy's Memories, chosen to represent the angst and emotions that Alec Murphy feels as he starts to change from a mindless robot back to his own conscience. Next up for Polydorus was the action comedy spoof Hot Shots Part Due. It stars Charlie Sheen as Topper Harley, Lloyd Bridges as President Benson, and Richard Crenna parodying his colonel role from the Rambo franchise. Sheen, who portrays a spoof of John Rambo, went through a tough weightlifting training program to gain the physique needed to play the role of an action hero. The second installment in the Hot Shots franchise, Part Due, primarily spoofed the 1980s action film Rambo First Blood Part Two and Rambo Three. The film was a success, earning $134 million on a budget of $25 million. I found Polidorus' score to be quite enjoyable personally, rating all the tracks either four or five stars out of five stars. For fun, I'm going to play part of track number six, Got a Light, which features a sexy sax solo and then tender moments.
The first of the four Free Willy films debuted in 1993, with Basel providing the score. He also provided the score for Free Willy 2, The Adventure Home, two years later in 1995. The first film stars Jason James Richter as a delinquent boy Jesse, who becomes attached to a captive killer whale, the film's eponymous Willy, and Michael Ironside as the bad guy owner of a marine park. The film was directed by Simon Windsor. His third collaboration was Polidoro's. Basel provided six of the twelve music tracks for the film. Interestingly, Michael Jackson produced and performed Will You Be There, the theme for the film, which can be heard during the film's credits. The song won the MTV Movie Award for Best Song in a Movie in 1994. The film was a success, earning $154 million against a budget of $20 million, thereby assuring there would be sequels. I have chosen track number 10, titled Audition, to play for you now with its simple start building to a full and happy ending. During 1994, Basel provided scores for four feature films. The first was On Deadly Ground, an environmental-themed action-adventure film directed, co-produced by, and starring Steven Seagal, and co-starring Michael Caine, Joan Chen, and others. It is to date Seagal's only directorial effort. Basel would later collaborate on at least one more Seagal film two years later. The plot? Aegis Oil operates Aegis One, an oil refinery and several oil rigs in Alaska. They purchased the oil rights from the local Alaskan natives 20 years ago, but stand to lose them if the refinery isn't online by a certain deadline. With 13 days to go and billions of dollars at stake, the company cuts corners and uses faulty equipment. 
A rig foreman is aware of this, and as he predicts, the rig catches fire. It takes Forrest Taft, played by Steven Seagal, a specialist in dealing with oil drilling related fires, to extinguish the fire. And of course, he will have to kick butt after upsetting management. Seagal won a Worst Director Raspberry Award for the film, which did not earn back its cost. And is probably why to this day it was the only film where he was director. The next film in 1994 for Basel was Serial Mom. In the interest of time, I'm going to continue to his next score in 1994, which was for the family adventure film Lassie, subtitled Best Friends Are Forever. The film was well received by critics, but not a box office success, earning only $10 million. However, the score by Polidoros was excellent. Once again, I have scored all 10 of the tracks as either 4 or 5 stars out of 5 stars. Here is the Lassie main title track from the film, which proves that broad-sweeping music can grasp at your heartstrings and touch your emotions. Enough said. Basel's final film score for 1994 was Rudyard Kipling's The Jungle Book. It was the second film adaptation by the Walt Disney Company of the Mowgli stories from The Jungle Book, and it was the first live-action adaptation of Walt Disney animated film of the same name released in 1967. The film stars included Lena Headey, Sam Neill, and John Cleese. Strangely, for a Disney film, in this version, the animals do not speak. The third remake of the story in 2016 brought back Talking Animals and a score by one of my other favorite composers, John Debney. The 1994 version was moderately successful, earning back its production costs and then some. But critics complained the story did not follow the sweet innocent of Kipling's fables about a boy who learns to live among the animals, who instead is replaced here by a Indiana Jones clone, an action thriller that Kipling would have viewed with astonishment. Basel's first score for 1995 was for the action thriller Under Siege 2, Dark Territory, the second score involving the martial arts actor Steven Seagal. Once again, Basel was called upon to provide a military-inspired soundtrack. 
The film is set on board a train traveling through the Rocky Mountains from Denver to Los Angeles. Seagal stars as ex-Navy SEAL Casey Ryback. The film is a sequel to the 92 film Under Siege, also starring Seagal. The title refers to the railroading term that the train was traveling through dark territory, a section of railroad track that has no train signals, and in which communication between train dispatchers and the railroad engineers is not possible. Given my fondness for soaring trumpets, I have chosen to play the first half of track number one, main titles, Dark Territory. Next, Basel provided two film scores for It's My Party and Celtic Pride, both in 1996. Then in 1996, in a rare opportunity, Polidorus composed the piece The Tradition of the Games for part of the Atlanta Olympics opening ceremony. The music accompanied a memorable dance tribute to the athletes and goddesses of victory of the ancient Greek Olympics using silhouette imagery. Famed Phil Scorn composer John Williams wrote the official overture for the 1996 Olympics called Summon the Heroes, which was his second overture for an Olympic Games, the first being Olympic fanfare and theme written for the 1984 Summer Olympics. And some of you may recall Muhammad Ali lighting the Olympic cauldron at the 1996 Games. Part of the selection process for choosing Polydorus may have been recognition of his Greek heritage from his father's side. His father had passed away just two months before, and working on this project was a kind of tribute from Polydorus to his father. Here is a short clip with Basil talking about trying to figure out how to make the tradition of the games sound Greek, from the 1997 Film Score Monthly interview. Really kind of a process of my own uh, remembering what the rhythms were. The, uh, my father used to dance a lot, um, you know, at parties and gatherings. Um, I've always liked particularly uh, modern compositions and Greek composers. So there's the, it was almost a working backwards. I, I got some tapes that were recorded in the 30s, and I figured that those probably were pretty close to the way music has been in Greece for a long, long time. I mean, to go to some small village in 1930, there's not a whole lot of association with the outside world in, in that time. 
so I did sort of a deconstructionism about what I thought music might have sounded like then, and then plugged in my own childhood memories of, of things and my own um, uh, ideas about what the ancient games must have been like. So I, th I think it, it lent an incredible uh, reality. And now, here is the second half of The Tradition of the Games, written especially for the 1996 Atlanta Games. Finally, we get to my favorite Polydor score for the film Starship Troopers, which was released in 1997. The film is a satirical military science fiction action film directed by Paul Verhoeven, his third collaboration with Basel. It originally came from an unrelated script called Bug Hunt at Outpost 9, but eventually licensed the name Starship Troopers from the science fiction novel of the same name by Robert Heinlein. The 23rd century story follows a young soldier named Johnny Rico, played by Casper Van Dien, and his exploits in the Mobile Infantry, a futuristic military unit. Rico's military career progresses from recruit to non-commissioned officer, and finally to officer against the backdrop of an interstellar war between mankind and an insectoid species known as arachnids. The film features a number of actors familiar to the fans of Treks and Sci-Fi, such as Denise Richards, Jake Busey, Neil Patrick Harris, Clancy Brown, and Michael Ironside. Critically, some film reviewers gave it an average ratings or less, calling it too damn well made for its own good. 
and shallow and oriented toward teenage male science fiction fans. Other reviewers praised it, calling it a ruthlessly funny and keenly self-aware send-up of right-wing militarism that critiques the military-industrial complex, the jingoism of American foreign policy, and a culture that privileges reactionary violence over sensitivity and reason. Hey, all I know is I really liked it, and especially the score by Polidars, where I have personally rated all tracks four or five stars out of five stars. Here is one of my favorite tracks titled Klondathu Drop.
In a July 2006 interview in Spain, shortly before his death, Fossil noted that the scores to Robocop and Starship Troopers were two of the most difficult ones he had written, both with director Paul Verhoeven. In Starship Troopers, Verhoeven didn't want Basil to start composing until he had nearly completed scenes after the extensive CGI work, that is, the final stuff. Basel noted, So I was on the movie for nine months. It was very difficult because he would show up at nine o'clock in the morning to hear stuff, and he approved or had me rewrite, and then he would come back at nine o'clock at night. So we'd work from nine until ten or ten-thirty in the morning, and then he'd come back at nine and stayed till midnight. I never slept. I never really slept for nine months. It is my belief that creating a score over nine months versus a typical five weeks had a lot to do with how well the soundtrack turned out, being constantly reworked from all that close collaboration with director Verhoeven. Starship Troopers has since spawned four additional feature films. However, Basel did not reprise his role as composer. If you are still listening, thanks for hanging in there. We are almost done. The way I look at these longer podcast episodes is that if you love film scores like I do, then you are enjoying hearing all of these tracks, since you may not be exposed to them any other way. The year 1998 saw only one film score, Les Miserables, a film adaptation of Victor Hugo's 1862 novel of the same name. It stars Liam Neeson, Jeffrey Rush, Uma Thurman, and Claire Danes. As in the original novel, the storyline follows the adult life of Jean Valjean, an ex-convict who was paroled following 19 years of hard labor for stealing bread, and yet is still being pursued by police inspector Javert. The next year, 1999, saw the release of a score for Mickey Blue Eyes, a British-American romantic comedy crime film starring Hugh Grant as Michael Felgate, an English auctioneer living in New York City, who becomes entangled in his soon-to-be father-in-law's mafia connections. The film's title comes from Michael being forced to impersonate a gangster, who is spontaneously named Kansas City Little Big Mickey Blue Eyes. Here is a short track titled Johnny's Foo, where you can definitely hear the sound of the mafia. Also in 1999, Basil provided the score for the romantic comedy film Kimberly, about four young men who fall in love with the same woman and struggle to keep their pact with each other not to woo her. Here is part of track number one, Kimberly Main Title, a lighter track highlighted by strings and my favorite piercing trumpets.
Mazel's next feature-length film in 2000 was Crocodile Dundee in Los Angeles. Paul Hogan is back as Australian outback adventurer Mick Crocodile Dundee, an expert adventurer in the truest sense, a crocodile hunter who lives in the wilds of the Australian outback and who previously survived the dangers of New York City. Now Mick must move to a more colorful netherworld of the United States, Los Angeles, when his wife Sue receives a new job as bureau chief of a newspaper. Mick becomes an amateur undercover investigator when a conspiracy arises surrounding a Hollywood studio and their next big film release. The third film in the Crocodile Dundee franchise, it was directed by Simon Windsor, Basil Polidorus' fourth and final collaboration with that director. Here's a short, fun track titled Eraser Rat Monkey Wrangler. <laughs> Three Dundee films were popular, earning between two and thirty times their production costs. Polidorus' last full-feature film was released in 2002, The Touch. This Hong Kong action-adventure martial arts film was directed by Crouching Tiger Hidden Dragon cinematographer Peter Powell, and starring Michelle Yeoh, Ben Chaplin, and Richard Roxburgh. The Touch tells the story of a Chinese family of martial artists and acrobats who have been performing for many generations. The family are, in secret, guardians of a holy treasure accessible only by a spectacular jump, which to everyone else is impossible to perform. I have chosen to play track number 20, titled The Touch, since it is one of only a few Polidorus tracks with a vocal soloist performed here by Kelly Chen. The track reveals its Asian origins. She
Basil Palladora spent the last four years of his life residing on Vashon Island off the coast of Seattle. He died on November 8, 2006 in Los Angeles, California. Just four months earlier, in July 2006, Basil Palladoras traveled to Spain to be the main guest of the second international film music festival of the city of Ubeda. Already very ill, he was also unstoppable and enjoyed every minute of his stay there. He was delighted to meet his adoring fans. He conducted his Conan the Barbarian Symphonic Suite in front of the audience and was moved to tears by the long-standing ovation following his powerful performance. During his over 20 years of scoring motion pictures, Basel proved himself to be a master of melody and emotional power. He could provide music that ranged from rousing adventures to intimate drama. Even if some of the films he worked on did not do well at the box office, his music was well-conceived and in some cases the highlight of the film. However, his work will continue to be enjoyed for a long time to come. Let's celebrate his life work, and to that end, I will finish this guest podcast was part of another favorite track from Starship Troopers, track number 10, They Will Win. I hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast. Next week on January 5th, 2020, Rick Boyer will provide a retrospective look back at Treks and Sci-Fi that was 2019. Until then, this is Vartok wishing Happy New Year's to all of you Treks and Sci-Fi fans.